Hey there, friends, and welcome back to Grounded in the Middle. I'm your host, Danielle Folk, and I am so glad that you are here with me today. Want to become rooted in living your best life? Well, hop in the car, lace up those shoes, start that load of laundry, do whatever it is you need to do, and get ready for a quick trip into the country where I'm going to share stories of homesteading life and restoration. Together, we're going to dig into topics that will lead you to reflect, rethink, and become more rooted in who you are today. And just know, I am absolutely thrilled you decided to hit play and join me here today on Grounded in the Middle. Hey friends, will you do me a favor? After listening in to today's episode, will you give it a quick review? By doing so, you will be helping this podcast reach other listeners just like you. And don't forget, join me on Instagram at Farmhouse Storyteller and subscribe to the Farmhouse Storyteller Journal at farmhousestoryteller.com. This is where you're going to get emails of recipes and other fun adventures here out in the middle. Before getting started, I want to make sure that you have listened to part one of this series. And so if you haven't, just go back to the show, click unplayed or head back to all the episodes and you're going to see an episode that says part one, did you know your home was a part of the Underground Railroad? Listen to that because I'm going to jump in today. I'm not going to do a homestead report of what's new around here. I'm just going to jump in and start telling you about the Weir family who settled here in Ohio and built our home. And I'm gonna talk about their connections to abolitionists today. So not too long after moving in here, I had our neighbor across the street mention to us that our home was part of the Underground Railroad. In effort to determine the validity of this rumor, I began researching our home and I found that it is probable the Weir family was involved in Underground Railroad activity. Now, keep in mind, the Underground Railroad was not an actual railroad and anyone who participated, this, was, this would have been secret business. No one would want to be caught doing it. And it is not surprising that the Weir family had been helping uh, freedom seekers. And, you know, what my good friend tells me is that just because there isn't information saying that they were, I have all this information I've gathered that really leans towards how could they not have. Now, the Underground Railroad ran from around 1810 to 1860. Peaking around 1850, it was a network of people who stretched across states who were helping fugitive slaves escape their masters in the South and reach their promised land in the North and into Canada. During the period between 1825 to 1850, the Underground Railroad had aided an estimated 100,000 slaves to freedom. It was around 1830 when the system was coined the Underground Railroad. Now, during the same time, the steam railroads were emerging. So the terms of the railroad were used by the Underground Railroad Network since it was a common language at the time. Now, Underground Railroad activity was often organized through the church as they were 
led by abolitionists sometimes who believed the Bible was against slavery. However, there were other leaders of the church who believed the Bible did not condemn slavery, which created a significant divide within the church. And ultimately what happened, the church split into separate congregations forming the old school and the new school congregations. This part of the Underground Railroad history was a lot of help when it came to researching the Weir family and finding connections that they had in the local community as it provided insight as to who the Weirs were associated with. The Weir family not only attended a church led by an abolitionist, but members of the Weir family had connections through marriage to abolitionists. On June 24th of 1815, a local Presbyterian church in Hanover Township called Bethel was established and it was significantly attended by those in Butler County. One reverend that is important to note is Reverend Adam Baird Gilliland, who led the church in 1828 and then thereafter. The Bethel congregation is said to have grown so much that members decided that they were ready for expansion and having their churches closer in their community. The new branch of Bethel Presbyterian Church was established in 1828. It was named Venice Presbyterian Church located in Ross Township in Butler County, Ohio. Shortly after, eight years later, Riley Presbyterian Church in Butler County was formed from that Bethel congregation. These three churches, Bethel, Venice, and Riley, formed what was likely to have been a network for the Underground Railroad as they were led by staunch abolitionists such as Reverend Thomas E. Thomas and Reverend Adam Baird Gilliland and serve church members who have connections to people and places of the Underground Railroad from as far south as the Ohio River to the west into Indiana. In 1836, Sarah Weir, who was married to John, became a charter member of the Riley Presbyterian Church. This church was formed by Reverend Adam Baird Gilliland, son of the well-known abolitionist, Reverend James Gilliland. James had settled along the Ohio River and organized the Underground Railroad in the area of his church, Red Oak Presbyterian. Reverend A.B. Gilliland studied under his father and married his wife, Sarah Hopkins Gilliland, who she also had very strong ties to many well-documented abolitionists because of her family and the help that they provided freedom seekers out of their home. Sarah Hopkins Gilliland, who is Adam Baird Gilliland's wife, attended Adam's father's church with her family. Her grandfather and her grandmother aided freedom seekers and her family's home was one of the early stops on the Underground Railroad. 
and both A.B. Gilliland and his wife, Sarah, they brought that experience from along the river with them into our area in Butler County. And they brought it early on in 1828 when they had settled here. Now, when researching, I found church minutes to be a really valuable resource for gaining information about the church and its business. And I will tell you too, there was a lot of drama back then and a lot of tattletaling and confessions <laughs> that were made. But I was able to learn about who was attending church meetings. I learned their roles in the church and the business they had to discuss. Through the Riley Presbyterian Church Minutes, I discovered names of those involved with the church and the people who were recognized through local history as being abolitionist and having involvement in the Underground Railroad in the area. So they were abolitionists, they were active, but they were also holding positions in our local church. Not only was the Riley Presbyterian Church led by an abolitionist preacher, but several members of the congregation had connections to places and people who were abolitionists. Reverend John Witherspoon Scott, father of First Lady Caroline Harrison, played an active role as moderator at Riley Presbyterian Church. His sister Jane Scott was a member of the church as well. Reverend Scott was a very good friend and colleague of Reverend Robert Bishop, who was the first president at Miami. Now hang in here with me. During Bishop's time as president at Miami University, he taught the future president, Benjamin Harrison, and he also corresponded with abolitionist John Rankin, who was helping freedom seekers just south of James Gilliland. Both Reverend Bishop and Reverend Scott made their views against slavery known, which in the end led to them both being dismissed from Miami University in 1845. After Reverend Bishop's dismissal from the university, he accepted a position at Farmers College and he served as the headmaster. Now, shortly thereafter, Reverend Bishop goes and asks Reverend Scott to join him there and teach. During his time at the Farmers College, Reverend Scott is said to have aided freedom seekers at his Mount Pleasant home between the years of 1846 and 1849. While Reverend Scott was at Miami and Farmers College, so was a member of the Riley Presbyterian Church. So what I want you to, to gain from that information is how Reverend Scott was an active role in the Riley Presbyterian Church, but he was also a well-known abolitionist and didn't keep it a secret. <laughs> and now he's in at the Farmers College, which is down going towards, it's in between like Riley and Cincinnati. Um, he's at that college and 
Now we're about to pull in another character, another member of the Riley Presbyterian Church. I left off by saying Scott was at Miami and Farmers College, so was a member of the Riley Presbyterian Church. His name is Pearson Corey Conklin. I'm going to call him Pearson Conklin. He was a Riley Presbyterian Church member and a student at Miami University and was a close associate of Benjamin Harrison, as was Reverend Scott, too, okay? Conklin then became a student at Farmers College, where abolitionist views continued to be shared and taught, and he was likely under the teaching of Reverend Scott at the time. After having graduated with his degree, Conklin then married the daughter of an identified local abolitionist, Dr. William Scobie, who was a member of the Indian Creek Abolitionist Society. Dr. Scobie was one of 44 members of the Indian Creek Abolitionist Society. The members of the Indian Creek Abolitionist Society are of Bethel Presbyterian Church that was under the ministry of Reverend Gilliland. Seven of those 44 members are also charter members of the Riley Presbyterian Church. The Weir family members are not recorded on this abolitionist society record. However, Mary Tremblay, who wrote the Constitution of the Indian Creek Abolitionist Society, was the aunt of Nancy Pearson Weir. She was John Jr.'s wife. Her family, the Pearson family, are connected to the DeCamp family, who is all a part of this abolitionist society. John Weir, who established the homestead, ends up passing away in 1853. So Nancy and John moved back to the homestead until they passed in the late 1800s. John and Nancy are of great interest to me since they were living at the homestead during the height of the Underground Railroad. Now, Ledford Thomas was a charter member and he was also an elder of the Riley Presbyterian Church. He was also a member of the Indian Creek Abolitionist Society. He serves as a very close abolitionist connection to the Weirs as he married the daughter, Elizabeth, on September 6 of 1842. To gain even more of an understanding of who the Weirs may have known or interacted with, I researched who married John and Sarah Weir's children, because that would be a personal thing. Now, when doing so, I learned that Reverend Thomas Craven, a Baptist, yes, I didn't say Presbyterian, a Baptist minister who was a staunch abolitionist and also an occasional conductor of the Underground Railroad, he married Martin Luther Weir, and Elizabeth Thompson in 1841. Reverend 
Thomas Craven played a significant role in the organization of the Baptist church and his work in the church was that of a mirror image of A.B. Gilliland and the Presbyterian churches that he had established. I'm going to end there today because I want you to have time to really think about these connections and how important connections are. But first, let's let's stop and think about why is a Baptist minister marrying Martin Luther Weir and Elizabeth Thompson? Martin Luther Weir's family have been at the Presbyterian Church since the very beginning. Yes, Elizabeth Thompson could have had a connection to Thomas Craven, who is a Baptist preacher. But her family, wouldn't you know, are also charter members of the church. Her mother and her father were charter members. That's the puzzling part of their connection to Thomas Craven. And in a time when you had to be very careful of who you surrounded yourself with or the business that was going on, the Weirs were in the middle of all of these people who surrounded them, whether it was at church or in the community, or now by marriage, they were all documented abolitionists in the area. And so to think, why are the Weirs not listed on the abolitionist society? Well, back then it was secret. It was very secretive what you did. And how you were helpful to aiding freedom seekers could be done in many ways. You could be someone who was really in the risky business of transporting. Or you could have been the person who maybe didn't report when your carriage was missing at night. Or maybe you turned a blind eye when you saw a group of people or, or a person go into your barn at night. There is different ways. And the interesting thing about the church is I have read and I've learned that even in the sermons of the reverends, there could be clues or mentions made during the sermon that would notify those who were involved of what needed to happen next. Maybe someone was coming. Maybe they needed to move on to the next station. It was a whole underground business between the church and the community. So I'm going to stop there. But when you come back next week, I am going to tell you all about Reverend Thomas Craven because he is someone who locally has been forgotten but he played a key role in the history locally here of helping those who were seeking freedom. And his connections spread like wildfire across Ohio and Indiana. And he's quite remarkable. 
So that's for next week, my friends. I will see you here for part three next Monday. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll see you then.